You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The podcast which you are about to listen to is an account of the lunacy which befell a group of film geeks, in particular Thomas Mariani and his drunken co-host Adam Thomas. It is all the more tragic in that they were oblivious. But had they been very, very self-aware, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to hear as much of the ramblings and madness as they were to spout that day. For them, an idyllic fall evening record became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most baffling audio recordings in the annals of American history about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. When we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. And I am Thomas Mariani, and look what your brother did to the door! I am Adam Thomas, and John Larroquette, why is, why is that motherfucker calling me drunken? What the hell is his deal? I don't know. I mean, do you have a show named after you, Adam? I don't think so. He can say shit. That's true. He was on night court, so he's kind of a judge or something. I don't know. What the hell? (laughs) Exactly. Some kind of legal representative. And uh, we're not alone here because we do have a guest with us. Um, She is a horror writer um, who you can see her works at sites like pophorror.com, among several others. It is Tiffany Blem. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. But uh, we decided to invite you on. Uh, to this particular episode, which was going to be about some kind of horror franchise, because we're in the middle of October, and we like covering at least one horror franchise. So we've covered some of the big ones, like Nightmare on Elm Street, or Halloween, Friday the 13th. And uh, thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash gedvpod, we ended up getting the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a franchise. And are you a particular fan of this franchise, Tiffany? I am. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my favorite horror movie. So the franchise itself is a little questionable. Yeah, we'll probably talk about how it's it kind of gets repetitive as a franchise over time, for sure, on that. But uh, where'd the love for at least the first movie come from for you? When did you first discover it, and why does it really stick with you? Uh, I discovered it um, later in my love for horror, um, only in the last eight years or so. Uh, and it stuck with me because it's so effective without revealing too much there's not a lot of gore there's not a lot of you know blood splatter but it's still terrifying in the way that it the chainsaw sounds and you know the scenery and the way it's shot it doesn't need the gore to and all of that to get to you everything else does it's so effective that way so that stays with me a lot more because um, it seems like a lot of horror movies have to rely on jump scares and and blood versus what makes this movie so effective. Yeah, we're not going to talk about the 
first movie in detail, but we need to obviously start this off with The Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out in 1974 from Toby Hooper. And when we talked about Halloween, we kind of talked about how that was the big progenitor of the 80s slasher craze. But a lot of the DNA can especially be seen in the original Texas Chainsaw, which I've only grown to appreciate more as I've gotten older. I think when I was younger, I kind of had that expectation given sort of Leatherface becoming a horror icon everywhere. I just assumed like, oh, this first movie is going to be like a really gory, messed up thing. And it's really more like a weird art movie than it is like a slasher film in a way that I've grown to appreciate a lot, even uh, doing the prep for this show, I rewatched it again for the first time in a couple years, and it still has this weird unsettling quality that I think, like, the found footage craze was trying to tap into, where it looks like you're just seeing something you shouldn't be seeing. You've unearthed something that's just like, I, you shouldn't have opened this box, whatever, like, trashy, in-the-middle-nowhere America you found it in, and it still has a lot of power with that. Would you agree with that, Adam? Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, it's iconic for a reason, you know. It's it's one of the few, I'd say, horror movies of that genre or even, like, the first in the sort of franchise films out of all the major franchises that you could still show someone today and they, they can still get unnerved or creeped out by it. it. It's so incredibly effective in the way it's filmed, acted, shot. I mean, just everything about it is gross and yet kind of, and I know this is so like cliche goth girl to say, but beautiful in a macabre way. It's absolutely just a horror movie perfection. Yeah, I think it also is just like one of those where obviously a lot has been written about the idea of like analyzing horror from its perspective in that particular time period. And Texas Chainsaw is one of the most rich examples of that because it feels like you're kind of thrown back to that particular era in a particular like southern america where it's all about like sort of reeling from the gas crisis and the post-hippie movement and a lot of especially like, economic anxiety that really rings true to that particular time which is why the sawyers kind of feel so palpable because it feels like oh these are backwoods people that might exist they might not be as you know overtly cannibalistic and still like be running businesses and stuff like that but sort of the idea of like this backwards-ass family could, to some degree, be around. And that's what makes it all the more terrifying. Like, I remember going to Texas with a group of friends just staying there for a week, and the house we ended up renting was in the middle of nowhere. It was a nice house, but it was still, like, in the middle of desolate nowhere where we just kept joking, like, fucking Leatherface is gonna get us here. No matter what. <laughs> like, it still resonates. No matter, like, whenever backwards part of town you're in, and, like, especially southern states, you have felt like, oh my god, there's some kind of Texas Chainsaw family around any corner. And it just speaks to how, like, that palpable that idea is still now. Yeah, definitely, man. It, it's, you know, like you said, any backwoods area you're in or sort of desolate area, it's you're thinking either, you know, the Sawyers are going to be there or the guys from Deliverance. It depends on what part of the country you're in. Well, and I think we're also going to be talking about with the two movies we're talking about today, which if, you, if you're new to the show, basically every week Adam and I end up talking about two movies we picked at the end of our last episode. Um, one has two good movies, the other one has two bad ones. At the end of the episode, we pick randomly. And so we ended up last week with uh, the two successors, the follow-ups to the original Texas Chainsaw that came out well after. Uh, well, first we'll be talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which was my good pick. And then Adam's pick for the bad one, which was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, or Leatherface colon Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, which I think both are kind of dealing with the fact that uh, this movie, this original one, doesn't really need sequels at all. <laughs> um, but let's go ahead and uh, jump into it then with our first film, uh, which is Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. 
13 years ago. Audiences across America were horrified by the savagery of a faceless killer. Now, after more than a decade of silence, he has come out of hiding. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. The buzz is back. Directed by Toby Hooper. So, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 came out in 1986, so about 12 years after the original movie. Um, and it was directed by Toby Hooper again, who had, at this point, directed like a few other things, like Poltergeist, uh, but even at this point, was in the middle of his big three-picture deal with Canon Films, which we've talked about previously, Adam and I's beloved Canon Films, known for horrifically stupid schlock, mainly in the action variety, but other genres as well. And um, this was following up Life Force and Vaders from Mars, which were sort of two movies that Toby Hooper really wanted to do, and Texas Chainsaw was the guarantor of that blank check to do those two movies, where they're like, we want a horror film that's a sequel to one of the big franchises of all time. And it feels like, from what I've seen in behind-the-scenes stuff, that uh, Toby Hooper, along with the screenwriter L.M. Kit Carson who, keep in mind, was coming off of a lot of acclaim for writing Paris, Texas, of all things, which is, uh, this is a fascinating follow-up to a beautiful art movie like that. And uh, they both sort of are, I think, coming at this from the perspective of, like, we don't necessarily need a sequel to Texas Chainsaw, so we're gonna go and do something really the complete opposite, except kind of taking kernels of the black humor that was in the original movie, which I even quoted at the beginning. Uh, the Jim side, that was great bit of like, look what your brother did to the door. Like, there are, like, really dark comedic moments in that original movie. And this movie is just running wild with those moments and just making something so weird afterward. Uh, Tiffany, how do you feel about this one, especially compared to the original? Honestly, I don't really care for it that much. Um, I don't like how they made it so comedic. Like, they added too much comedy to it. Um, it's a fun watch. But I don't, I don't really view it as like a sequel to the original. I view it as somebody took the story and then made a comedy out of it. Well, I mean, I get that because the thing is, even though it was my good pick, it's extremely divisive, especially yeah. amongst the horror community because the original and this one are so parallel and different. But in a way yeah. that I honestly kind of enjoy because I think the problem with a lot of the sequels to follow is that we got more movies that were just trying to do more commercial versions of the first movie. And uh, this one is not a commercial film. Like, it barely made its, like, small budget back. But mm -hmm. this is not a movie to please, like, especially big, huge uh, fans of the original movie, necessarily, to drive people in the same way the original movie did. But I, I would say I'm a pretty big fan of it. And Adam, are you a big fan as well? Uh, yes. Sorry, Tiffany. <laughs> no. no I, uh... <laughs> I would say out of all of the ones that follow, this is the better of them. So I can agree with that. <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely where I stand on it, too. And I think that's sort of why I've grown to love it so much is because I, sometimes you don't want to watch your favorite movie over and over. I mean, it just it happens. And I really do love the first Sex Chainsaw. But there's sometimes where I don't want to watch one of the, the you know, main slasher movies. But I do want to watch something with Leatherface in it. But I don't know if I'm in the mood for the original. This is always the way to go. And I think I've actually seen this one now more than the original. But yeah, plus, you know, Bill Mosley is chop top. It's just so over the top crazy. But no, I yeah, I, I've grown to love this one and appreciate this one for just how fucking crazy and Looney Tunes it is com in comparison to the original. I mean, talk about just doing whatever the hell you wanted 
and just putting it on on the film, not really giving a shit about even your own original material in a way that you completely change, not necessarily the formula, but the ingredients. It, it's just, it's so wacky, this movie. I think it kind of, we've said this before when we talked about like Gremlins 2, um, it feels very much in that vein of a sequel where the original person comes back and they don't want to necessarily repeat themselves. So they make just something gonzo that they take whatever they can and just make something weird out of it. And it kind of feels like to me, the way I would best describe it is the original Texas Chainsaw is like if you followed a group of carnies back to their home and you were in the middle of their horrible home lives that are really disturbing and offsetting. And Texas Chainsaw 2 is them with the highest budget a carnival could get to make a spook house. Because that's what this feels like. It feels like you're on a ride, but not like at a big theme park that would have like some kind of stability to it. This feels like it's put together with like chewing gum and duct tape, and you're like, I could die on this ride. <laughs> I could v- very clearly die if this were to like immediately fall apart, or a wind where you're like gusted a bit. And I think that's kind of the appeal that I get being divisive, but at the same time, I really have grown to appreciate and enjoy so much with it. But uh, what are some things maybe that you enjoy yourself about it, Tiffany? Especially why you would say it's better than some of the other sequels that followed. Mosley just take. I think he owns it. Just shows the level of crazy that the family is without... I, I, I just find the humor better and the acting better and the casting. Like, There's a lot of people in the second one that you wouldn't even think were in it. I just think it's better made and um, makes it more fun. And you're right. It does feel like this is the ride that I'm going to die on if <laughs> because it's so rickety. That's what it feels like. I agree. Well, yeah, especially when we literally get to like the big abandoned theme park, which I just love that aesthetic. Yeah. I just love the aesthetic of like, this is a place that was abandoned for probably good reason. Like people got lawsuits or something for all the weird <laughs> dilapidated structure of it that could be taken down with a chainsaw to be fair by Dennis Hopper, which is probably one of the examples you're talking about in terms of, like, Oh, I wouldn't expect this person here. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And he is so coked out of his mind. I mean, he, he's just going on a rampage of this movie. And I just love, that's another reason I love it too, where they either A, they couldn't keep him in check, or B, they didn't try. And they just let him do what he wanted. And he took it so seriously. I know. That's so stupid. He's got chainsaws on holsters. That's why I said as he was. Well, I'm like, I love that he's wearing those chainsaws while carrying another one. I'm like, that is so good. <laughs> you know how hard it would be to fucking walk, let alone run. Get those things strapped to your legs. It's you know how so badass you would feel. Like oh, I'm wearing <laughs> chainsaws right now. I am such a badass. But also the back problems you'll get. From carrying all those chainsaws. With a giant white cowboy hat on. Yeah. Yeah, just doing scriptures. Yeah, I think one of my favorite scenes is the bit where he buys the chainsaws from that weird (laughs) store, which is apparently a real store in the middle of Austin where they were shooting that just had chainsaws. And I just love how he's, like, feeling them out, really examining them, like, holding them, weighing them out. And then when he uses the log, of course, and that weird (laughs) dude who's the shopkeep just like, oh, my banana, whatever the fuck that means. Oh, he's getting so turned on, dude. I think that's what they're showing. Like, the way he's looking at it and giggling and smiling, like, that dude is literally about to bust one. Wait, wait, are you saying this movie has sexual undertones, Adam? I don't know where that would come from at all. Uh... Well, the only one I ever noticed in the whole movie... Yeah, of course. That's, that's in the whole movie. <laughs> it's, it's very much kind of taking... I forgot who the study was, but it was about like the where the knife is the penis 
kind of thing that was like an essay that was going around like around post Halloween as sort of like horror analysis and Toby Hooper's like well I have a chainsaw already like I might as well fully use it um and I, I think it's it's really come especially from like all sides where most of the people in this movie are these dudes who are clearly overcompensating for how impotent they are and then you have in the middle of it stretch who is our only female character but is so well played by Caroline Williams who along with Bill Mosley, this is like their big sort of introduction before they came, became horror icons in their own right. And I love Stretch as a horror character. I think she's a great example of a final girl who goes through like so much horrible shit in the same way that like Sally Harvesty, uh, as played by Mar Marilyn Burns, went through. But in this case, she's like going through a weird, much more like Dante's Inferno via Texas carnival madness adventure. In this, and I think she's pretty great. I don't, how do you guys feel about her as a final girl? I liked her. I like her character in the beginning. Um, the introduction to her I thought was great. And I liked in the end when she is like triumphing with her chainsaw and she's doing her little, like her own little leather face dance at the top right after, you know, Chop Top falls down into the, the tunnel or whatever. I have to say that I got really tired of her screaming at one point. It was just nonstop for like 10 minutes. Um, but overall, I think she's a pretty strong character. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with everything Tiffany just said. Uh, I really like her introduction. I like how she sort of doesn't take any shit. She's a little ballsy, a little cocky. You yeah. know, she's got that relationship with um, LT or whatever, and it, it's really cool. And I do love the the chainsaw dance at the end. Like, there's no it, there's no way it, it doesn't look like she's gone crazy. It looks like she's rehearsing, but it's still it's it's really cool. <laughs> it's so awkward. It's so awkward. It, like you know, she's don't trip, don't trip, don't trip, don't trip. But uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I agree. She it, she becomes such a just uh a scream machine like halfway through and it doesn't let up for at least 10 minutes and i agree it, it gets a little uh grating at first when i first saw it it didn't really bother me but as i've subsequent viewings i'm like all right this is the part where it kind of drags a little bit for me i love the homage to the first one with her little dance even though it was a little awkward it really reminded me of when leatherface in the first one is doing that with the chainsaw so i thought that was a great nod to the first one it ends sort of perfectly on this note of like oh she's yeah. triumphant but she'll she can't get over and experience this horrifying and i think that's yeah. why i kind of love like even when she's screaming there feels like one there's a relatability in terms of like Look, if I was in the situation, I'd be, like, screaming until I went hoarse. And I like the fact that she kind of has said this as well. She has almost, like, a variety to her screams in terms of how, like, some of them are more operatic, like, when she's tied up at the dinner table versus when she's, like, even in the radio station. I think another thing we're forgetting is how great she is at trying to calm down the weird sexual experience of, like, Leatherface using literally his chainsaw as his surrogate dick like how she's trying to like be like oh uh, are you good are you really good like it's almost her just trying to get out of this horrible situation as best she can in the middle of like once again all these horrible weird perverted men around her like even lg she's like who has this crush on her clearly she's very firmly but politely trying to get him to go aside even and then how that like even goes to much bigger extremes when she's around like chop top or leatherface um or even to a certain extent lefty 
I think she has a lot more control. Even when she's screaming, it's more of just like this uh, defense mechanism. Yeah, Thomas, you'd also be in the same outfit if it was you. I mean, look, I like those short shorts. I can't deny it. Yeah, that would definitely be you. And those boots, they're so cute. I wouldn't mind doing it. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing it. <laughs> well, that's Patreon content. Patreon.com slash GETVpod. That's where you get that. We're going to lose all our subscribers. Worth it. But I, I think we should also talk about the other big introduction. We've talked about him a bit. But Bill Mosley here, not in his first movie, but his first sort of big role that would make him a horror icon as Chop Top, who is sort of the surrogate for the uh, character from the original Hitchhiker, and is supposed to be like his twin brother who was apparently in Nam during the events of the first movie, as evidenced by his uh, metal plate. And I think Bill Mosley is the thing that makes me love this movie as much as I do, because it's such a bizarre character. Like, in the original, the Hitchhiker is bizarre, but in a way that feels a bit more real. This is like the Mad Magazine caricature of that Hitchhiker character gone berserk. And especially that whole scene with him and Stretch at the radio station feels kind of like what the movie accomplishes really well for me, where like with some horror comedies, we talked about this, they kind of emphasize too much on the horror, too much on the comedy for, you know, whatever they feel their strength is. I think Texas Chainsaw 2 is one of the few where it feels so balanced to me, where there are so many points where I am laughing hysterically, followed immediately by a scare. And I think that's a great example where like this tension that's going on between her and Bill Mosley leading up to, I think, a phenomenal jump scare with Leatherface being inside the record room, is so good. And I think hes it's one of my favorite horror performances. Much like I said about Dennis Hopper, the same thing applies to Bill Mosley here, where they just let him go. Because there are scenes where he's talking or doing dialogue, and it's like, they should have cut 20 seconds before, and he's just going and going and going. But that is the great part about the performance, where it is so manic. And he feels like, a you know a kid with hardcore ADHD who's also a psychopath. This movie kind of is what made me a Bill Mosley fan to begin with. Yeah, I absolutely love Chop Top in this. And he is absolutely creepy. Like, he's fucking creepy and he's gross with that coat hanger. Ah, get the fuck on. It's so nasty. But, yeah, Chop Top's great. I agree. Actually, this is not the first thing I saw Bill Mosley in, so I was more familiar with his other characters. And then I found out that he was in this because I only have recently watched this for the first time in like the last year or so. But yeah, he's really disgusting. (laughs) That's really gross. No, yeah, it's a phenomenal example of like all amongst other things about this movie, the costume design, the set design and the makeup effects by Tom Savini, like all converge perfectly with Chop Top with like his ratty like vest with all those different buttons on it and his horrible wig and that when it takes (laughs) off, it has the plate effect, which looks so great. And, of course, Bill Mosley also has, like, all the lines that would later become sort of famous from this movie, the catchphrases, with the, like, oh, you, like, my plate, you dog dick, stuff like that. Oh, you ruined my Sonny Bono wig. And <laughs> <laughs> dog will hurt. <laughs> but, uh, no, he's fucking, he's so fucking crazy and weird in this movie, man. And I'd say Chop Top's more of the 
standout from the family in this one more than even Leatherface is. Wait, we should probably talk about that. It's Bill Johnson here who is replacing Gunnar Hansen from the original movie uh, because of some, like, pay dispute stuff. And I think definitely he's going for something very different than the original movie where in the original movie, Leatherface is sort of like this puppy dog or more innocent character despite being obviously like the cook that kills people. He feels a bit more childish. This is that child turned into an awkward teenager and all the horrible implications of that from here um and i think it's a very different performance but i would say once again especially compared to all the other attempts at leatherface i would argue it stands out much more than most of the other sequels to me and i think that almost really works especially like later on when stretch invades their compound and jim sidow and bill mosley find out oh she's alive at this point and leatherface keeps having these looks of just like Oh, I'm really sorry about my family. I'm so awkward. I can't bring a girl home. God. Like, he has that in his body language, I would argue, which makes it very depraved in its own way, but also just kind of this weird satirical gag once again that almost feels like, you know, given this movie has, like, the Breakfast Club uh, poster, it feels like he's kind of implementing, like, a teenage element in this weird, warped, satiric way. That's interesting. I hadn't viewed it that way, but I could see that. How do you feel about Bill Johnson's portrayal compared to, like, a Gunnar Hansen, in your opinion? Well, Bill Johnson did a great job. I don't think anything compares to Gunnar's performance. He will always be, that'll always be my number one. Um, I think he made it more human. I felt more sorry for the original Leatherface than I did for any of the other ones. Yeah, I, I, I agree where Gunnar Hansen's Leatherface felt more like a, sort of a child who didn't know any better and in this one he's just a horn dog teenager like I, I completely agree uh where you know he's embarrassed by his family and stuff uh you know i, I think it goes in exact order where i think gunner hansen is better than bill johnson but i, I think bill johnson's quite good in it as well mm-hmm. uh i i would say that out of all of the subsequent movies i i think bill johnson uh, is the last really good Leatherface. Uh, I think there's bits of some of the other ones that work. He he's gives the last most well-rounded sort of performance for Leatherface. Boy, and I also just love the chemistry between him and Shaftop initially, where it's like they have this weird older brother to younger brother chemistry, followed up with Jim Sidow, who I didn't even realize until fairly recently that Sidow was supposed to be like the older, older brother as opposed to, like, the father, who I thought it was the whole time. But I just love when Stretch is just trying to get around in that big compound, and Jim Sido keeps on berating them, and keeps talking about, like, oh, the, you're just making me screw up this business, I might as well just quit. I hate you kids and what you're doing here. And then even as it keeps going along, like, when Lefty comes in with the amazing line of, I'm the Lord of the Harvest, followed by Jim Sido saying, like, was that new health food bunch? Shit like that. It's just this weird, almost like Three Stooges chemistry between the brothers. I find to be so engaging in its own weird, warped, like I said, way of this horror comedy. I just find them to be this sort of weird microcosm of especially like this weird, like what capitalism has destroyed about these like people stretched off to the south and just how much they're eventually getting this like going from the economic depression of the 70s to the Reaganomics era of the 80s. It feels like there's just kind of like, once again, to quote Jim Sire, like, the, the independent businessman always gets it up the ass, literally, in this case. I just love all that shit. Yeah, Jim, Jim Sire is amazing in this movie, too. You know, it, it, that's, a, uh, that's a peppercorn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. 
and he's driving around in this van. I'm like, what the fuck? It, it that's that's I guess sort of the the brilliance of the sequel, but also I can see why it's as maligned as it as it is too, because it does take this family from that are in this little house and you know just doing horrible things and just gross and nasty, and it moves them into this just like you said before, like they're a carnival troop, but it's like. Cookie's got this big van. He's entering chili contests. Like, what the hell is going on here? And, and he's so beloved by everybody at the chili contest. Everyone thinks beloved, like, oh, he's, he's a bit cute. And, <laughs> and he's crushing. He is the best chili cook in Texas. It is fucking ridiculous. It makes no, like it's so crazy, dude. But I absolutely kind of love it for that. Where, like I said, it's just takes. Everything that the first one does and, and does quite effectively and well, like I, I said, I, I'll stand by it. The first one's a masterpiece. And just completely like, <laughs> ah, fuck it. <laughs> we'll just do whatever we want. I, I'd say this is like no other horror sequel that exists. Um, I guess another big thing is Tiffany mentioned this at the top that the original movie doesn't have a lot of gore. And by comparison, this movie is a gore-a-palooza. Um, thanks to Tom Savini, um, which I would argue some of his best work is in this movie. I want to go around, what is sort of your favorite gore effect in the movie, Tiffany, first? What's your favorite sort of, like, gory effects moment in the movie? I loved when Stretch found her friend, what was his name, LT? Yeah. When she was wearing his face, she finds him, like, <laughs> laying there, skinned, and he, like... <laughs> gets up and starts talking to her and realizes that she's wearing his face while it was nice and bloody it was also like so ridiculous i can't stop laughing as i think about it with his like chest panel missing credit to lou perryman who was actually an assistant camera guy on the original movie playing that part and how really game he is for just how mutilated he gets by the end of it. I, I I love the look of like him being skinned, and also even the lead up to that where Leatherface comes over to her and like tries to put the face on her as if it's some kind of like weird playtime or like flirting bit, and then they dance, and she clearly doesn't want to dance. It's this weird thing once again that has this perfect balance to me of like the weird comedy of like this is absurd and the horror of like what the fuck is this guy doing? It's insane. <laughs> I love that bit. Well, and she keeps wearing it, like, as she's talking to him, when Leatherface and no one else is around, and she could have taken it off. She's still wearing it while talking to its owner, which she clearly could have removed it. <laughs> that was just the best. And I love the added touch of, like, she returns it to her owner, and it's like, there, good as new, <laughs> stretched out a bit. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> um, but Adam, what's your favorite sort of gore moment in the movie? I mean, that's that's it, mine as well. It, it's so just gross and darkly funny and just disgusting. And plus, dude, like LT, I, hey, good on him from going from a camera operator to this because he's actually pretty good in this too for mm -hmm. the art. But he's just so gross, kind of the whole movie. Like, the way he hocks those loogies all the time, like, it's so fucking nasty. And clearly he's, like, wants to bang Stretch. Like, it's so obvious. And I think she's, like, kind of into him, too, a little bit, but more like a friendship way. But, yeah, him standing there with his fucking, like, 
his chest cavity exposed and no face on it, his underwear. And it, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's so well done though, because they put this, you know, bunch of makeup on him, but it, it looks like you're looking at the skin ripped from his face and his open chest. Like they did a really, really good job. Uh, obviously it was lit pretty well and everything too, but yeah, I, I think that's, that's probably my favorite uh, part of the movie as well, as far as gore and effects. I mean, for me, I would say it's probably the big sort of opener. It's not the opening scene of the movie, but the bit where the yuppies who have been screwing around with uh, Stretch over the phone end up meeting their demise in such, I think, a phenomenal sort of statement of purpose for the movie from Toby Hooper. It's like, this is the movie you're going to be watching (laughs) from here, where Leatherface, dressed up in the corpse of his brother who was killed at the beginning of the first movie, um, just uses his chainsaw to have, like, a a literal, like, drag race slash chainsaw destruction bit. And the one yuppie in the driver's seat has his head sliced, like, off and is falling. I think it's such an amazing effect. It was. I totally forgot. The very simple effect, too, where apparently there's just, like, a little balloon underneath that blows up and it comes out and you can even see Tom Savini's hands are the ones when it has like a shot behind the seat and his other yuppie friend with the glasses is just screaming that guy's so annoying <laughs> oh that guy with the glasses and the gun is so fucking annoying dude <laughs> and the hook em horns <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> feels very much like a homegrown Texas movie in the same way the original is but in this case it's very much playing on like I love the fact that this is all going on in the middle of like a big football college weekend which explains why there's not many people out in the middle of any <laughs> like stretches of area really I, I just I love how that like, kind of plays into like oh this is like a big moment for this town and how once again like our uh, intrepid family is trying to make do with that. Um, though I do also want to create not a gore effects thing, but um, the makeup that they use for the new version of Grandpa, I think is phenomenal. And I know Savini was kind of playing off of like sort of little big man, Dustin Hoffman old age makeup with that. And it looks like, especially compared to the original movie where given that was made by like a dentist and such a low budget, it's clearly like this weird version of it but um this one i think has such a phenomenal thing even though one of my few problems with the movie is i feel like the whole sequence where they just kind of repeat the grandpa using the hammer is one of the few times where it feels like we're just kind of repeating the original movie in a way i'm not the biggest fan of but that makeup's amazing yeah i heard no lot to do that several times in all the movies not all of them but at least the next two basically and it, it it does get a little tiresome but yeah i think the makeup of this is really good it reminds me of uh it actually reminds me of Dan Aykroyd in Nothing But Trouble, a little bit. <laughs> well, honestly, like I think I said this when we talked about Nothing But Trouble, but that feels like the movie I would say like most people who hate this movie are kind of equating it to in terms of just like kind of annoying and endless and disgusting looking. I feel that way more about like a Nothing But Trouble as opposed to this movie, mainly because it kind of feels like it's going for broke in a way that Nothing But Trouble isn't, necessarily. Down to the set design in this movie, when we get to especially the Texas Battleland, and the way it has, like, all these weird Christmas lights strewn everywhere, and all these, like, weird Knott's Berry Farm skeletons <laughs> that are, like, strewn up in different plateaus, and shit like that, even, like, Franklin from the original movie as well. Just, like, this weird thing where there's a weird arts and crafts element to this family that a bit, like, oh, they have crafts, but they do it with skeletons and, like, boar heads and shit like that. It's so fascinating to me. I can, like, look around every single corner just like, oh, there's, but, like, I didn't even notice until today one of the, like, things during the dinner scene that's hanging up is a skeleton made up to look like Slim Pickens from the end of Dr. Strangelove on the bomb writing down. 
just like so much shit in that like weird Texas Battleland thing that I love looking at. I don't think I noticed that. Um, well, I guess we should kind of get to final thoughts here because we do have a whole other movie to talk about on this. So uh, we'll start off with Tiffany, your final thoughts on Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Well, I have to say that I think I appreciate it a little bit more after talking with you guys about it because before, like, I didn't have a lot of love for it. But now that we've discussed it and had some laughs over it, I think that I appreciate it more. Still not as, you know, as good as the first one, but definitely a solid watch, I think. And Adam, your final thoughts? Yeah, you know, like I said before, I think this is, as far as the major franchise sequels go, out of all of them, this one is the one that I'd say sort of throws the Hail Mary pass the most. I mean, this movie is absolutely batshit crazy. And it, it takes so much, so many chances and so many liberties with its source material and done by the guy who did the original. So, I mean, that's what makes it even like more wild to me. But uh, yeah, I think it's absolutely fun. I think it's a blast. I think there's so much going on in it. It's what a fun, fun fucking movie, man. <laughs> it's the thing where like I respect and have really grown to enjoy the original so much, but this is the one I feel like I personally enjoy a bit more. Um, if nothing else, because it really does, as we mentioned, kind of go for broken. It feels sort of like the best distillation of who Toby Hooper really was as a director, honestly, because the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is great, but I think if you watch most of his post-Texas Chainsaw work, this falls more in line with like his sort of like weirder sensibilities. I think particularly the canon trilogy he did with Life Force and Invaders from Mars, it feels a lot more like his sensibilities kind of like distilled into this weird higher budget for what he was used to at that time, but still at a canon level. And even like the people at canon who usually like love all the schlock they produced were very upset about this movie because they wanted more of an outright horror movie. It feels like the one canon movie, along with maybe Life Force and Bears from Mars, his movies from canon feel the most kind of like self-aware in a way the other ones aren't, in a way that I personally really enjoy. But I think this one distills it all perfectly with just like the weird ramshackle production design mixed with the great makeup and the just outrageous performances. Like especially weird with, we didn't talk about this with Dennis Hopper, but this is sort of right at the end of his slump he was going through from the 70s. And this is the same year he did stuff like Hosiers and Blue Velvet and got nominated for an Oscar for the latter. <laughs> and it's so weird that this feels like his transition point to becoming more of a respected character actor again, having a second wind in his career. Um, it's such a weird movie at a specific place that I personally really dig. Um, but I also get why people don't, because it's really weird <laughs> and really upsetting, <laughs> but at the same time, I think really enjoyable. But... Before we get into our next feature, let's hear an ad for an ESO show you can queue up right after hours. Transmission commencing. This is Wookiee Radio. Translated for the Wookiee Affair. I like that Wookiee. Your hosts, Ken, Derek, and Mike, bring you the latest news and commentary from the far reaches of the galaxy. Uh, hold it. Hold it. I said hold it. Subscribe today on iTunes and Stitcher. I just assumed it's a Wookiee. Start listening today. And remember, the Force will be with you, always. Alright, now we're getting to our second feature, Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Some tales are told, then soon forgotten. But a legend is forever. Leatherface. 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Now, from the producers of A Nightmare on Elm Street, the real terror begins. So, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, or as I mentioned, Leatherface colon, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, came out January 12th. Wait a second. That is so fucking gross sounding. When you said it at the beginning, I didn't say anything, but it sounds like you're saying, yeah, or Leatherface's colon. And it, <laughs> it's just, can you not refer to it as that for the rest of the show? <laughs> well, don't blame me. Blame New Line Cinema, who took over the franchise at this point and kind of tried to make Leatherface into more of a horror icon the same way they had done to Freddy um, for a while. And uh, it's directed by Jeff Burr, who directed our bad feature from last time, uh, from A Whisper oh, to a look. Scream. And I feel personally like this is where we start kind of getting the repetitive nature of the franchise. But I think, Adam, you picked this, and despite it being your bad pick, you're slightly more of a fan? And I don't know why, because it is so just clearly mangled. I mean, there's shit that, there's scenes that happen off screen that you wouldn't even know happen, and then all of a sudden, like, you see the after effects in the next scene. You're like, what the fuck? Wait a minute. Why is his hand gone? Like, you have no idea. And it, but if you watch, you know, the documentary and stuff, there was a lot of studio mishandling. I mean, Jeff Burr got fired like a week in, and he was gone for a week, and then they brought him back. Like, it was just, it's just really, really strange shit. But, yeah, there's just there's parts about this movie that I really love, too, uh, That's for the same reason I love parts of uh, Touch Chainsaw, too. Like, some of the family members in this movie, like the one guy who's got the hook hand, like, you know, technology is our friend god damn it i'm sorry son like it's fucking weird dude and i really love the gas station attendant as what is he doing in this movie like what is the accent he's going for like i don't understand like when he sees ken for he's like i don't got one thing to say fuck you mister like what the fuck dude like it's just batshit crazy too and if it wasn't cut to hell i think this movie would get a lot more love than it gets because if you do watch any of the deleted scenes, the gore in, the, in some of those scenes is fucking incredible. And it's so gross and over the top and well done. You know, and it's hard to appreciate a movie for what it could have been. But I, I don't know, man. I, I just, I think this is the last sort of, well, I don't know. Fuck. I just saw some about it. It's just charming to me. I don't know. Maybe it's because Viggo Mortensen's in it. He was really hot then. Like, I don't know. Well, this is before so... he was hot to any degree. This was like his earlier, like, bib. I mean, if, I guess you mean more to his meant, attractiveness, to be fair. As, yes, physical attractiveness. I didn't mean like he's like, I know this did take place while, while he was playing Aragorn. I'm not stupid. <laughs> well no but even then like i think he's one of those guys who's really kept it going like even as late as something as bad as green book it's still like but damn vigo though i was gonna say would you say he's not going on before we go too far into that tiffany how do you feel about this one i don't like it great <laughs> so this one every time i watch it i find myself doing something else while watching it so like none of it stays with me at all so they did the first one which is amazing and then they do the second one which is like a comedy and then it's like they're trying to reel it back in like okay maybe we were too funny with the other one so let's get back to trying to be serious and that doesn't work. I don't like I don't like how they try to do that. I agree. The first time I saw it a couple of years ago, 
I was watching a bunch in anticipation, I guess, of Leatherface, which I was doing for another podcast I was on. Um, I watched the ones I hadn't seen especially. I like it a bit more now with this watch, but it still does, I agree, feel kind of like the most forgettable one. Because even the ones that are worse than this technically, like the one to follow with Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger, has one, those two. And two, this right. weird, like, Illuminati subplot that's really poorly handled, but it's more memorable than most of the stuff in this one, which feels kind of like a by-the-numbers chainsaw movie. Especially in terms of, like, having much more of the same structure than even, like, the second movie kind of has a few structural elements, but this one goes even further with it, of, like, repeating the original. And has way more dull characters. Like, I cannot stand the couple in this movie that we're supposed to like. At all. I find them very dumb and playing paint by numbers. That's all that I remember. I watched it today um, to prepare for, you know, this. And that's all that I remember is the beginning. That's how bad it is. But Ken Faree's in it and he clearly dies and then comes back at the end. Isn't that great? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, honestly, I would say, like, compared to that couple, that's why they're such a bummer to me. Because I'd rather way follow Benny, the Ken Faree character who is a lot more interesting to me. Like, he has these scenes with this victim who escapes from the beginning of the movie, and he's also kind of trying to keep the situation calm, and he has that scene with um, the the one guy I think you were talking about, um, who I believe is Tink, played by Joe Unger, who I also kind of like, amongst like the newer Sawyer characters, I'd say he's the best one. Um, like, there's a scene, I think, where he's trying to get the gun, and the... Um, Tink starts trying to run him over with, like, all the flares that are there, and it keeps running him over. Scenes like that, I'm like, oh my god, there's a pretty good movie about, you know, especially this black guy being in the middle of this horrible encounter with these weird backwoods-ass hillbillies that are trying to eat him and some of these other characters. Like, the whole time I just kept being like, why can't we follow Benny? Benny's dope. (laughs) Well, how do we feel about uh, the new Leatherface? My, you know, my personal best friend, R.A. Mihailov. (laughs) because <laughs> you took a picture with him at a convention follow his yeah. instagram to see <laughs> hey i did too so that must make him my friend too oh yeah that old because you're both competing for best friendship it's a tra- god damn it i'm getting him on the phone if i can find his phone <laughs> was yours in costume no was yours i was so no she's clearly his best friend no she, got- she's clearly it confirmed <laughs> He doesn't have to wear a facade around me. <laughs> I mean, in terms of him in the movie, I think he's competent. I think there's other worser leather faces to follow. And I will say, I do like the mask. I think this is the last time I think the mask really works for me as a design. Because uh, it feels almost like the most aged and withered in a way. And I think it's probably the only point where we get some of uh, Greg Nicotero's genius, who did the effects work for this movie, as Adam mentioned. It got really cut down by the MPAA. Especially after the experience where Texas Chainsaw 2 came out, like, unrated, which is, like, unprecedented. They were just like, no, we're not gonna put an MPAA rating at all on it. And so I think they had, like, a chip on their shoulder and cut this one to pieces. But that mask at least feels like the best of his makeup effects kind of coming to fruition. And there's, like, this one has a few interesting moments, like the bit where he's using the speaking spell for food was, like, a fun character bit. There's a few things, but I would still say he's not nearly that interesting, or he doesn't even get a lot to do. Like, I don't think he shows up for, like, the first 30 minutes of the movie. That's kind of all of them, though. You gotta figure, it takes a while in all of them before you get to actually see Leatherface. I mean, yeah, but it feels weird for a movie that's really trying to forefront him as, like, a Freddy-style character, like a bigger horror icon... It kind of feels also weird where it's like we want to make him front and center, but also kind of adhere to the exact same structure from before. It's weird. Oh, I don't disagree with you. Anything you guys say bad about this movie, 
I, I can't defend and like I'm not gonna be like, well, wait a minute, no, because it's true. This movie is called, it's shit, dude. Like it is pure garbage, but I absolutely something about it is super charming to me, and I can't put my finger on it. Is it the child? Does that make it charming for you? No, she's awful. She's absolutely. <laughs> and also the weird implication that she's Leatherface's daughter is like, oh, well, I don't even want to know how that happened. That's gross though and, but in a way I, that's one part of it that I, I feel like sort of adds a little bit more mythos to the Leatherface character to where like they almost use him to like stud out like that's gross and weird and, and that sort of adds more nastiness to the character which I, I, I'd argue that Tex Chainsaw is one of the franchises that I used to think like you could never be too nasty like you could make it as dark and just gross and dirty and mean as you want until Texas Chainsaw Massacre the beginning came out you know Thomas I fucking hate you because <laughs> you, know, you tell me to pick movies for this show and I do and you never like them you just never like them I like the beginning I like Texas Chainsaw Massacre the beginning just to throw that out there I like that better than the one how do you feel, especially like we've been talking about him, like how do you feel about the Leatherface and some of the other Sawyers in this one? Do you feel they're just kind of unmemorable? Is there anything interesting about them to you? No. Well then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mind the beginning either. I just think the beginning is a really mean movie. Like it's mean. That one seems the most uh, sort of vindictive out of all of them. Well, I just think, like, with the beginning, and much like a lot of these other ones, it feels kind of like copy of a copy of a copy, especially considering that one is a sequel to the remake, and or a prequel, sorry, to the remake. And even then, being a prequel, it still feels like we're kind of repeating the structural elements, and it feels kind of like those movies came out right around the time that, um, of, like, Devil's Rejects was, like, right before, which I think mm -hmm. they're trying to kind of recreate more than even, like, Texas Chainsaw. But in a way that, like, you can't even quite do what Rob Zombie does if you're, like, especially a big studio like Platinum Dunes. That one and also this one have the same problem to me of, these look way too polished. Like, Texas Chainsaw 3 looks so much more of, like, a studio movie. Even more so than even, like, the second one had a bigger budget. But feels like it has that rickety sort of look to it and feel to it that I enjoy. As opposed to this one feels so much more, like, kind of polished and we have a bigger budget. But in a way that's just not that... Like, it loses a lot of the mystique from the first two. It doesn't feel as gritty to me. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I do agree with that. It, it doesn't have that sort of dinge and grime all over it. Like, especially, like, Text Chainsaw Massacre 1, you could smell that movie when you watch it. Like, you know it's gross and just Ugh. dirty and nasty and hot in there because of all the it stories. It's sweaty heard. watching it because you know that it fucking hot in there out there you know that it, they stink you know that house stinks there's dead like, feet everywhere a whole experience yeah and then the second one you it feels like you're covered in dust and dirt because you're underground everything's got this nice coating of just gray to it where it's so just de just dead and decayed like everything around them including the land they're in this one they're like kind of a nice lush forest. And you're like, well, well, what? Like, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't fit. I, I definitely agree. Aesthetically, that there is a, that's a huge, huge sort of misfire with this one. 
Well, what would you at least say, Adam, makes you like this more than some of the lesser sequels that would follow? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think because of how hard it's trying. Like, this this is definitely a so bad it's good for me sort of movie. It is all over the place tonally. Like, they do want to go back to horror, and they do want to make it more, you know, sort of similar to the first one. But then they give them this stupid giant chrome chainsaw. And then it's, you know, the, the preview, the teaser that came out for this movie. Which is pretty dope, honestly. <laughs> yeah, the Lady in the Lake and with Arthur. Like, what the fuck, dude? What does this movie want to be? I, I just, I do really, really enjoy it. I wish the little girl would have got it. Like, someone would have taken her out. Like, Ken Free Shooter or something like that. Because she does that yakety yak thing. It's the second she did that, like, which is, I think, the first time you see her. I was like, oh, she needs to fucking go. Like, I just, like, I just can't stand her, dude. I do like the grandma, though, with the with the voice box. Mm-hmm. I think she's pretty cool. Like, she's pretty good. I, I like that idea. Um, she gets shot to shit, so that's kind of cool. I just, some, I, I don't know. It might just be Joe Unger, to be honest with you. Some about his character I really, really like, where he's this backwoods, dirty hillbilly who pierces the ears of random animals which they never really get into but he he does that with chromed skulls and then like bird skulls and shit and then he's just loves modern technology yet he's lives in this fucking dilapidated sort of house with just it's just i don't know so about his character i feel like there is a beat missing there that they didn't really capitalize on well i mean even literally where they don't have even a death scene for him he just kind of like disappears from the movie after Vigo tries to destroy that guy and gets blown up, basically. Blown shit. Yeah, he yeah. Joe Unger's character almost feels like the prototype for the Matthew McConaughey character you get in four. Right. Um. Though obviously far more subtle, weirdly, uh, given yes. how crazy <laughs> Matthew McConaughey goes for in that movie. And I think I also really dig his chemistry, Joe Unger's with uh, Vigo Mortensen. They feel kind of like strained siblings, like they're having a bit of like a sibling rivalry thing. That's going on there. Um, and I think the... Like I said, I agree with you that there's more sort of potential to make this at least like a by-the-numbers-but-fun Chainsaw movie, which I think some people who are more privy and kind to the franchise would kind of say this is. But I think I agree. The sort of... The, the big problem of like the NPA cutting this down, it just reminds me a lot of, you know, speaking of that little girl and actually William Butler, who plays the love interest of our main character... At the beginning, both of them were in Friday the 13th Part 7, which also had a lot of MPAA cuts, and I feel this one is one of those ones that really suffers the most. The edited one is really the only one you can find on streaming, and even then I've seen bits of, like, the unrated cut, and that even still feels very edited down, despite being quote-unquote unrated. It feels like watching a porn film with the money shots cut out, quite frankly. felt like Cinemax. Yeah, sure, we'll go with that. Well, what would you at least say, like, makes this maybe less memorable than some of the other sequels to follow, in your opinion, Tiffany? Like, compared to some of the other ones that aren't good follow, do you feel like this one is so much lesser than even some of those really bad ones? This totally negates, like, what I said about the original. Um, I like the gore and the brutalness of the new ones. Um, This one, I feel, is boring. It's nothing new from... The first two, it offers nothing. They try with the whole Leatherface's daughter. I don't buy that. They were going to keep someone alive. Like, where's, like, first of all, why would he have custody? And second of all, like, they would keep someone alive long enough to have his child. Like, I just don't buy any of it. It's, it was nothing new to the table. 
or to the franchise at all. It was just, oh, hey, sorry for the comedy in the first one. We're going to try to take it more seriously now, and I just don't like it. Yeah, it feels like a course correction to a degree that really loses the personality. Yeah. Um, and even then, like, with some of the other ones, like, as much as I do not like, like, say, a Texas Chainsaw 3D, I would say that at least is trying to add something new with, like, well, there's, like, a Hatfield and McCoy's thing with the Sawyers versus, like, another family that I think they do a slightly better job of with the most recent one, Leatherface, which I would say is at least a bit better than this one. Um, or even, like, the remake, I think, has some of these, like, elements of taking the original movie and really adding more interesting new characters into it, like the Sheriff yeah. character, of course, or some of the other ones, I at least feel like they kind of have more creativity with trying to do something, even if it does not work whatsoever. Like, especially the the return or next generation is really yeah. trying a lot and does not, it's, it's a worse movie than this one, but at least is kind of more memorable. Whereas this one, it feels, I, I agree. Like the after I'm glad I watched it like last night because any more distance between me watching it and record, I would not have much to say like at all. <laughs> Um, one thing that I like about uh, the one with Jessica Biel is I find it to be an experience like the first one where you can tell that they're sweating in the heat and they're dirty and if I feel dirty and sweaty when I'm watching it like I do the, the original without being repetitive of the first one you know what I mean like and I don't get mm-hmm. any of that this one this one's not an experience i like to experience the movie i want i don't i want more out of it because i love the first one so much that i, I need more and this one just falls really flat to me versus some of the other ones yeah a big credit so they got the same cinematographer daniel pearl from the original movie to come back for that one i think it has a similar visceral quality even though it's a lot sheenier because it's platinum dunes and all that it's one of the better of those uh, remakes um, yeah. hmm, it's interesting. It's almost if we're not talking about Leatherface. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I think it's indicative of how kind of forgettable this movie is in general. Um, that at least with some of the other ones, this one at least, I would say, has less memorable qualities than any of like even the worser ones to me. And those are honestly my final thoughts as much as I can have. Tiffany, do you have any final thoughts about this one? I would skip it. And watched the new one. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I, I'm uh, with no, you, no. honestly. I, we're, we're piecing a pod here on that. But, Adam, yes. as a kind of reluctant defender, do you have any final thoughts on the third Texas Chainsaw specifically? I'm sorry, Adam. <laughs> no, it's all right. Look, if you need a night in and you need something to watch to maybe put you to sleep, but maybe excite you, this would be in the top 20. Like, it's, you know, it's it's fine. I, to me, it's harmless. It's not good. It's not the worst of the franchise. It, it's just there. It exists. It's kind of fun if you want to see a young Viggo Mortensen. It's cool if you like Ken Furry and the what could have been if they would have just ran with his character like you alluded to earlier, Thomas. If you hate annoying kids, that's him here for you, too. It, it's It's... It's fine. Like that's it. That should be on the box. It's fine, Adam Thomas. <laughs> double it's, double. double it's fine. Box. Yeah, I like that too. Like it's it's just fine. <laughs> it is what it is. It, it it's okay. <laughs> it's fine. Have the fine italicized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. 
Um, <laughs> if you want to, uh, if you're a completionist of the franchise, you know, it's worth it for that. If you just like watching shitty sequel movies, which we know people that do, we have guests that run a whole podcast about that. Then this is it. It will fit right there for you too. What, what the fuck do you want me to say here, Thomas? <laughs> you know, you're running this thing, and you're putting me on the spot here, and. <laughs> You know, it's fine. You no, know, I just wanted you to say your honest thoughts. And I think you did that quite well. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll say if just if nothing else before we head off of Texas Chainsaw Three. Despite some of the horrible things we might have said about like the implications of some certain elements, it at least feels like the most inoffensive one. Agreeably, like it feels after the first two, this one feels more like a palate cleanser before you get to some of the really bad, terrible, messy decisions that happen from here. It won't really stick with you in a good or bad way necessarily it's not gonna offend you uh, other than it being a bad movie like let's put it that way (laughs) Uh, i'm not gonna seek it out to watch it but i would watch it if i was doing a marathon of the entire series then i would watch it but i'm not gonna watch it on its own ever no i I pretty much agree with that but um now before we uh sort of head off and close the show we do have some feedback to read uh, because we got some feedback we share every week at DEDB Pod on Facebook and Twitter. And we'll go ahead and read all of your thoughts that you put out about uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, uh, which include from some previous guests like Shaquille Lambert at Shaq Excellence, who says best original in the 2003 remake, worst Texas Chainsaw 3D, good fucking lord. James Rodriguez says uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is terrifying, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is batshit fun. Texas Chainsaw 3D is dreadful, especially in how it tries to repurpose Leatherface into a heroic figure. Um, And Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, the next generation, is unbearable and embarrassing, especially considering it has early appearances from future Academy Award winners. Uh, Bill Gabriel says, I saw the first one during the original run when I was 14. Terrified the hell out of me. And then Cody, uh, Cody underscore O-R-M-E, says, Man, the 2003 remake is so good. I also throw in the beginning as well um i mean i i personally honestly would say we kind of talked about some of the others in the franchise i really do not like the beginning i would say that's probably my least favorite personally because it feels so photocopied over to a degree i would say personally yeah just because it feels like nothing is going on and to be fair look besides the first two and the remake to some degree a lot of these other ones are pretty close in quality in terms of bad (laughs) but gun to my head i would say the beginning is my least favorite personally, though you would disagree, Adam, clearly. <laughs> I, I would go Texas Chainsaw 3D, like across the board as the worst. I mean, just just the blatant disregard for even trying to tell a cohesive story as far as even getting your timeline correct. I mean, just that's the level of disrespect they even had for their own, their own film and fans, where it, when it was pointed out, like, yeah, but... She'd be in her forties, and the Dario was like late twenties. Yeah, <laughs> eh, we don't really care about chronological. Like, what the <laughs> fuck, dude? Like, what, what do you mean you don't care? Like, that doesn't. Who writes a script or makes a movie or God forbid writes anything is like, at eh, the time, oh shit, it doesn't match up. Ah, eh, fuck it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And the cheap way that they try to pull off the three D effects, like, it reminds me of Friday the Thirteenth. 3D where they're like just jutting shit at the camera like ooh spooky it, it's just it, it to me that is easily the worst out of all of them and plus you know it has a meta thing where Trey Songs is playing fucking pool listening to Trey Songs 
Again, so is he playing himself? Is that what's happening here? Yeah. I just, when, I get it. when the only two black characters in this franchise are him and Ken Foray. And Ken Foray has far more of like a character despite being cut down so much in three. It's like, yeah, you, you really <laughs> just sink the bar so lower. And that, I, I mean, I would say that's very close to me for the worst. For sure. I'm not saying that that's a, I'm what I'm a big fan of. Um, especially like they has some of the worst lines in any of these movies. Like when Daddario finds out that Leatherface is her cousin and throws over the chainsaw and says, do your thing, cuz, is like a low point oh. in the franchise. <laughs> That's like a I bottom of the barrel. <laughs> I like it. I like, okay. uh, I mean, I, I'll watch it to like fall asleep to. I'm not going to sit there and watch it like I'm sitting in there watching the entire movie, but I would watch it over the third one. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I and I like it better than Leatherface, the most recent one. I'm not as huge on Leatherface either, but I slightly prefer that one. If nothing else, because they kind of tried to establish this Hatfield and McCoy thing I kind of mentioned earlier with like I think it's the Hartmans and the Sawyers in Texas Chainsaw 3D, and they go back to that in Leatherface in like a prequel sense. And I believe that conflict a lot more, especially with um it's Lily Taylor and Steven Dorf. I think are very good in that movie. Yes. One of the few examples of genuinely great performances in these later sequels, I'd say. Um, and there's, like, some interesting stuff with, like, the weird kind of element of, like, it's not shot in Texas. It's shot in Bulgaria by a couple French directors who did Inside. <laughs> and it's, like, it feels very distinct in that weird way to me. But I do agree that I think the biggest problem with that movie is the whole bait and switch with Leatherface where they get the kid who played young Hodor in Game of Thrones and it's like oh he's gonna be Leatherface wink 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 no it's the handsome dude that's the twist that was weird I'm not like crazy about Leatherface either I I think it's it's fine no it's not okay it's okay it's all right. It's you know I dig Stephen Dorff and Lily Taylor in it quite a bit I do hate the bait and switch but also it's so fucking obvious, too. Like, it's so telegraphed. Like, to me, I, there was no question. I'm like, well, obviously, it's not going to be that kid. And then uh, it, it's just too easy. But then it's, you know, it, I almost feel, and I know this sounds crazy, but I almost feel like if Leatherface wasn't a Texas Chainsaw movie, it could be something pretty cool. Yeah, I agree with that. Like a standalone yeah, just its own thing about these escaped kids and this sheriff who, you know, is hunting them down and stuff. Like, it, it could be something pretty cool. It hurt itself by tying it to the franchise. Yes, I agree. And if it was about um, the pleather head. Yeah, pleather head. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know, Adam, you're a pretty big fan of the remake uh, from 2003, right? Yeah, I think, I honestly, in my opinion... The 2003 remake is the best of the Platinum Dune remakes that have come out. I, I think it's absolutely the best one, uh, followed by the Friday 13th remake. Ooh, I like that one, too. I think, yeah, it's so good. It's brutal. I don't understand why people hate that one. But anyways, uh, yeah, I love the remake. I think it's really well done. I think uh, Arlie Ermery as Sheriff Hoyt is absolutely disgusting and despicable and awesome. Yeah. And I think Andrew Bernarski is just a huge tank of a man as Leatherface, and he's terrifying. Uh, he feels like a force of nature, almost how Leatherface did in the first one. Uh, just this unstoppable sort of doesn't know anything but rage 
and confusion sort of creature. Yeah, I really, really dig the remake quite a bit. I think aesthetically, the way it's shot, the way it looks, it does feel gross and hot. And I love sort of the extended family who live in trailers around the compound, like the the big lady with the tea and all that stuff. Like, it's really, really cool. Yeah, that's the one I think that of the non-Toby Hooper ones is the only one that kind of creates an interesting extended family. With, like we mentioned before, especially Arlie Ermey is terrifying in that movie. He's so fucking scary. Yeah, I think a lot of people just have a lot of issue with it because it kind of kicked off the early millennium remake trend in a way where I think just because the Platinum Dunes movie, they kind of paint a lot of those in a bad light because they're remakes, where I think some of them are pretty terrible, like Nightmare on Elm Street in particular is god-awful, um, and Ugh. some of those other ones they did. But I think Friday the 13th is the better example to me of like a good Platinum Dunes remake. And Texas Chainsaw is, I think, the second best. But yeah, there are a lot of bad trends in there after that point. Um, would you say that's probably your favorite of like the post-Hooper movies, uh, Tiffany? Yes, I do really like that one. It's nice and brutal. I like that one. I guess before we like get out of the feedback section, I did have a question of, um, there is rumors that they're trying to do a new Texas Chainsaw. And from what I've heard, it's like following an older Leatherface kind of trying to do the new Halloween thing with it from what it sounds like. Um, my question is, <laughs> if we have to get more Texas Chainsaw, where could it possibly go at this point? Like, we could obviously say, don't keep doing it, but we're under the gun of it has to be done, evidently. Where could we possibly go with this franchise at this point now, nearly 50 years later? Do a better version of Three from Hell. Have them where they've been arrested, they're on trial, all this is happening, they escape, and they go across the country killing and the police are chasing him. That's the only thing I can think of. Because if not, it's just going to be exactly what we alluded to earlier. Just copies of copies. Even the idea that you said an older Leatherface where they're sort of following the ilk of 2018's Halloween. Why? We've already seen it. Like, just do something that hasn't happened with this franchise already. But that's really grasping at straws. I, I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre is sort of, as much as I love it, I think it's run its course and it should stay in bed for a little while. I don't want to see an old Leatherface running around. Who would? Yeah, and like a little Leatherface with like arthritis and barely can like pick up the chainsaw. That just sounds sad to me. Yeah, they can do like an older Michael Myers because all he does is just walk around. But you can't do another Leatherface because he's very active. So, yeah, like an old fat dude, like your shitty uncle that nobody talks to. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like him hanging out. Who the fuck wants that? No. I, I, I absolutely agree. It'd be like watching like an aging wrestler. Like like get back in the ring and you're like, oh, this is depressing. If we do that, it would feel a lot more sad. We're just like, he can't pick up the chainsaw. He can't dance with that chainsaw anymore. He's 60 years old. <laughs> it's going to be so pathetic if he does that. It'd be such a bummer. Hey, he can dance if he wants to. He can leave his friends behind. Hey, then we don't have to watch it, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say, like, the only thing I can think of, and this is also kind of grasping at straws, but at least is like, would be a creative idea. Like, with the original movie, I would say one, I guess, place it more in the 70s. Like, one of the few things I liked about Texas Chainsaw 3D is the opening bit with the Sawyers. I think if you're going to do something more, it's like, oh, we're following up from the original. It's like, actually set it more in, like, the time frame of the original. But more importantly, the one lingering thread we have from the original movie that they never go back to in any of these movies. What happened to that truck driver? That dude who just ran the fuck out of there 
to Parts Unknown. What happened to that guy? <laughs> Nobody's making a movie. They did. It's called Joyride. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that's the only lingering thread I could think of if we're going to keep doing fucking stupid sequels. Where did that guy go immediately? I would almost, like, it prefer if they were to do that, maybe make it a bit more of, like, a comedy even, like almost a weird Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead by following that truck driver as he encounters the Sawyers. Yeah, it's like a fan film, though. I could see that working. Not, it, personally, I don't think that would work as far as a direct entry into the franchise. But would be funny to see. I, I absolutely think so. Like, does he just keep that wrench with him all the time now? <laughs> He's just going around. Especially, also, that dude was black. We could have, a, like, a black protagonist in one of these movies again, which I think would create a different dynamic, honestly, compared to, like, what we've had before with, like, a bunch of dumb white kids going down the middle of Texas. Fuck it. Like, Craig Robinson. <laughs> just do a weird comedic thing of no. him, like, encounter. I would, I would prefer that to repeating, like, the original movie like all the other sequels have done. That at least sounds like an interesting swing to me compared to any of these other movies. It's a swing. It's definitely a swing. Like, <laughs> I'll tell you right now, dude, if they decide to continue this fucking franchise and that truck driver from the end of the first one is becomes the series protagonist, you are owed millions of dollars. There's a recording here, timestamp. We're recording this on Sunday, October 18th, 2020. <laughs> we have two witnesses here. Nobody else is clamoring for that. I guarantee you there is not one other person in the whole of the horror dub or the universe who's like, I wonder what happened to the yellow shirt truck driver. Let's uh let's make a film about him. But are any of those people clamoring for sixty year old Yellowface? I no. don't fucking think I don't so. Either. <laughs> that, no, that's true. I'll give you that. I guess I'll give you that. Uh, well, uh, Lionsgate, whoever owns the rights at this point, uh, call me. <laughs> Contact me. I have my social media here. I'll... I got I got a hot idea for you. Yeah. <laughs> Big picture. It'll work perfectly. They're going to hang up on you and then send someone to kill you. So, yeah, six-year-old face, exactly. I can yeah. run away from that dude. <laughs> <laughs> He's using, like, a turkey knife. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> oh, get you young and old. Oh, my hip. Oh. Stay where you are. You got a plug. <laughs> well, uh, thank you all for sending that feedback and listening to the madness that we've unspooled here. Uh, we also want to thank people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show as well. And uh, thanks to our patrons over at, as we mentioned at the beginning, patreon.com slash dedbpod. That's where for just $1 a month, you can listen to some bonus podcasts we put out every month. And also participate in some polls including um the week that we're putting this episode out we put up a poll for a topic for us to discuss that you all can pick and uh, we're doing something interesting because uh, you know despite us doing horror movies a lot for this particular month and we do horror topics all the time we've never really delved into thrillers as a topic because it feels like such a weird fine line between that and horror and so we're gonna do a thriller episode but we want you all to pick the subgenre we focus on It'll be between crime thrillers, so more in the vein of, like, you know, criminals in the middle of, like, some instant, kind of like a Coen Brothers-y sort of feel, versus psychological thrillers, which are more kind of like the, you know, person encountering, like, something mental that they have to get over in a thriller kind of setting. Um, I, I mean, we've, we've wanted to do this for a while, right, Adam? And I think this is the best avenue to try and do it. Yeah, I think so, because uh, thriller is such a broad genre. 
I, I, I definitely am on board for sort of breaking it off into subgenres and letting people pick what we do. I'm down for anything, but uh, you know, once the choice is sort of taken out of our hands, makes the picking of the movies a lot easier too. But um, of course, we also want to thank Tiffany for being on the show here. Tiffany, thank you so much for being on. And uh, where can people find you on the internet and your writings and all that? Uh, Pophorror.com is where I do most of my writing. Um, But I also write from morbidlybeautiful.com and nightmarishconjurings.com. I'm also on Instagram at queentiff. It's K-W-E-E-N-T-I-P-H. I post a bunch of random memes and selfies. Great to hear. Go ahead and check her out all those places. Um, and you can also check us out over at DEDBPod, as I mentioned, uh, Twitter and Facebook, where we uh, put out our questionnaires for people in terms of feedback. You can also email us stuff, uh, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out there. And uh, you can find me doing my own individual musings on Twitter, Instagram, and now Letterboxd. I've updated my username there as at uh, NotTheWho'sTommy, just for synergy purposes there. And I also do some writing at uh, marianitomas.wordpress.com. Yeah. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Adam or Adam. So it's A-T-O-M underscore or underscore A-D-A-M. Uh, that is the same on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and uh, my new OnlyFans page. Ooh, sexy. I can't wait for you in the stretch outfit. <laughs> it's all goat say pics. Uh, the only thing is I put on different little festive hats. On top, on top of my ass crack, just to go along whatever holiday it is. Well, um, if you don't want that and you just want to subscribe for our audio, thankfully, only um, talks on here, uh, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. And if you're listening on ESO, why not dig into the archives uh, for our first several episodes on uh, Podbean, our main feed. And then if you could just rate, review, or share the show around, uh, it really helps us get more visibility out there. If you don't have like a dollar to spend for Patreon or anything, just uh, telling somebody, hey, this is a pretty good show, uh, we would appreciate it. It helps us uh, get more visibility out there. And well, now, before we end all of this here, we have some picking to do for next week, which will be... Unfortunately, our last entry in the October spooky episodes, uh, we got a pretty good topic, I think, to end everything up on. A director this time, and one we've been really contemplating and wanting to do here, Adam, for a while. We are doing an episode about Mr. David Cronenberg, which we're pretty big fans of. Yes, me too. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've been talking about doing an episode on him since the beginning of the show. True, true. Yes. So as you kind of intimated, Tiffany, you're a pretty big fan of him? Yes. Big, big Cronenberg fan here. Yeah, and we're going to focus on his horror stuff, even though he hasn't really done a horror film in a few decades. He's been sticking more to, like, dramatic stuff in the most recent years. But we uh, each have two of his horror films that we're going to be talking about. Um, Adam has the two good picks. I have the two bad picks. And we've each assigned two of our picks, numbers between 1 and 10. And usually we would end up doing for each other's picks number between 1 and 10, and whichever is closest to the one we've assigned the sort of two movies to, we end up getting a good and bad pick from that. But when we have a lovely guest like Tiffany here, she gets to hold the chainsaw and dig into a specific number. So, Tiffany, for Adam's two good picks, number between 1 and 10. Um, 7. All right. At number 8, I have uh, David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. Uh, starring Jeremy Irons. Great movie. Great performance Great. in particular. Oh, absolutely. At number one, I went a little bit off the wall. I chose a David Cronenberg film, but not one that he directed in. A, uh, I picked Nightbreed. Right. Yeah, he's in Nightbreed. One of his uh, acting roles. Very good one. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. 
you fuck. <laughs> well, and now this fuck has two bad movies that Tiffany has to pick for, so between one and ten for my bad picks, Tiffany. Um, number four. All right. At number three, um, I had, I mean, these are two of his older ones, and uh, at number three, I had Shivers. God damn it, that's one I didn't want. You motherfucker. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Well, and like, then, I bet it has you fucking... Go, go ahead, you piece of... <laughs> well, and then on the opposite side, at number nine, I had Stereo, which is a very early one from him from, like, the late 60s, from what I recall. Holy Lord. I don't think... I don't even think he's seen Stereo. <laughs> I'm sure not. Um, but yeah, so Shivers and Dead Ringers. Very interesting. Both will give us the Shivers, maybe. Who knows? Oh, God. <laughs> Well, uh, that is the end of our show, and until next time, uh, lick my plate, you dog dicks. That's really mean. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we hope that you become a Patreon subscriber. And uh, happy Halloween season. Season!